0: to Luke chapter 1 this morning. You'll remember over the last few weeks we've been talking about uh, the Word of God calling us to be people of hospitality. And uh, we looked uh, at Matthew chapter 25 and 1 Peter where He's talking about us being hospitable, hospitable, and he says that we should love each other deeply, offer hospitality without complaining, and use whatever we have received to serve others. And the idea is that the love of God is poured out into our hearts through the Spirit of God dwelling in us, and that cultivates generosity, which leads, uh, extends outward towards others through hospitality. And if we look at the word hospitality, uh, again, the word literally means uh, in the Greek language, it means to love strangers. Uh, so, but if you, if you look deeper into that, to that, the context in which we see the word used in the Bible, we see that uh, there are many different ways that love of strangers kind of expresses itself. And we will see it uh, in these ways, honoring others above myself, in welcoming them and seeking their comfort by making available to them my gifts, talents, abilities, possessions, and my attention, loving them the way that Christ has loved and welcomed me. And understand that this is what God calls us to, how we should interact with one another and the people outside of here, because this is the central message of the gospel. This isn't something that God just calls us to, but this is the central message of what God has done for us, that he has loved us when we were strangers and invited us to be uh, adopted as his children, to be welcomed into his family. And as we just heard earlier that Christ said that when he would go, he would prepare a place for us where God is so that we could go and dwell with God and be with him forever. So this is the central message of, of the Bible, is God's hospitality directed towards mankind out of his love. In uh, in what we're talking about here as we focus on uh the, this season the next few weeks uh we're talking about god god's hospitality to through christ and how we see that in uh in christmas this this celebration of Christ's advent his uh coming to be uh god with us so that's what we're talking about here today in luke chapter 1 uh we're going to start in uh um, verse 67 but i would urge you through these moments you know how quickly these moments can pass by every year. Uh, and, and so many times we get consumed in these few weeks of celebrating uh, Christ and Christmas. We get consumed with all of the things that you have to do. We get consumed with all the family events that you have to put together, the people that you have to visit, the, the things, the gifts that you have to buy. You have to have them all wrapped. And it's the same thing as Thanksgiving, right? We spend all day, uh, cooking a meal that we eat in 30 minutes, right? And then it's over. Now we got to clean up. So we spend literally the whole day working so that we can fellowship for 30 minutes sometimes. Uh, but we can't, we can't allow ourselves to pass through this time. Uh, without considering the central message of the gospel, the central message that Christ came to bring is that God is a hospitable God inviting us as strangers to himself. So as you go through these weeks, there are some people that will go through this week, these weeks and think nothing of that message. It will mean nothing. Christ will be sprinkled in in all the kind of traditions that we have, that we do through Christmas, but he'll never be a central thought. But for others, if we spend time thinking through these things, Christ will show up, he will reveal himself to you in greater ways than you have ever seen him before. If you discipline yourself to meditate on who he is and what he came to bring to us. Uh, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. So this is uh, where we're at here is if you go back to the beginning of this chapter, one a very long chapter, but we see that Zechariah was a priest uh, in the temple and uh, his division of priests were were on duty in the temple at this moment and an angel shows up when he was inside the temple doing his work and tells him that he would have a son in, in his old age. And uh, his son would be John the Baptist, and he would go before Christ announcing the coming of the Messiah and calling people to repentance, salvation, all of those things. So this is after Zechariah becomes aware through the angel of what God was going to do in their lives, and then the angel uh, shows up and and tells Mary what's going to happen, and they come together, and uh, it's a joyous occasion. But... Then we pick it up here at the birth of John the Baptist. Uh, So after he is uh, born, then Zechariah uh, has this song uh, just overflowing with joy and praise of what God has done. In verse 67 he says, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in in the house of his servant David. As he had said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. So the first thing that we uh, understand from Zechariah's song here, the overflow of praise, is, is number one that he was, again, he was a priest in the temple. He was... Uh, from a long line of priests, uh, he and his wife, it says that his wife Elizabeth was from the line of Aaron, the high priest Aaron. So all from that time of Aaron, the first high priest, they were among uh, the line of priests working in the temple. They knew what was prophesied. They knew what was coming. For all these years, their families would have been talking about it. They would have been thinking about it. They would have been working in the temple and understanding Uh, that that this physical structure that there is wasn't the end, but God was saying that something else was coming. So Zechariah was in in the place of uh, seeing the fulfillment of this. Can you imagine him him being in the temple doing this work and the angel comes and tells him, now is the time. All of the things that you have been hearing about for ages, all the things your family has been talking about, uh, all the things the prophets have been saying, it's happening right now. And your son is going to be the one that goes before the Messiah telling them to be prepared. So you can imagine the overflow of joy in his heart when in his old age, when they thought they were never going to have any children. And in that day, that was a huge thing. That was a huge uh, kind of an embarrassment because at the time they kind of thought there was something wrong with you. You were doing something sinful, maybe, if you didn't have children, so You can imagine the priest doing the work of God, and in his old age, thinking he was way beyond that, having the angel come to him and saying, now is the time of salvation. Your son, you're going to have a son in your old age, and he is going to go before the Messiah. So you can imagine the joy in him. Uh, But then his song begins with this. In verse 68, he says, Praise be to the Lord, uh, the God of Israel, because he has visited, uh, or he has come and redeemed his people. Some translations say he has visited. Uh, but the word, the Greek word for that means uh, to visit uh, has the meaning of seeking out. That is an active thing. This is a, God isn't distant from us. God isn't just sitting in heaven, letting things play out however they will on earth. God has sought out people who were strangers. He has actively looked for us. He is actively seeking people today. There are people that are distant from Him, people who don't know Him. God is seeking them. Now, they may resist that. The Bible says, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but the Bible says that there are people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. People actively suppressing what they are able to know about God because they want to do their own thing. But see, whether people suppress that or not, God is still seeking people. He, is seeking, he was seeking people then. He was inviting them to be His children then. He was in His hospitality calling strangers to Himself then, and He does the same thing today. I wish I had uh, the the quote right now. A.W. Tozer talks about God's mercy and he says that uh, uh, mercy never began to be but always was. From eternity it has been and always will be. It can never be diminished. It can never be increased. It is always the same. You see, God's mercy that uh, was in his heart that called Christ to come down here to be born the way he was and to be crucified for us. His mercy in that day uh, was no more or no less than it is today. The mercy of God is extended to mankind in the same exact way today that it was extended in that day. So God's hospitality has invited us to Himself uh, as He has uh, come to redeem His people. It says, because He has visited, He has come, He has sought us out, to redeem his people, uh, or the Bible says in some ways that he has come to pay our ransom. Uh, the, the word, the Greek word, means ransoming, uh, deliverance, or f- from the penalty of sin, paying the ransom, paying the, pen- the penalty that was due for our sin. Uh, now, some people get to the point of thinking, uh, you know, we start to compare ourselves to other people. We think that I'm not as bad as this person. Uh, so I don't have as much to be thankful for uh, in, in Christ redeeming me sometimes. But you realize that the Bible says if we live by the law, meaning I am judging myself by all these things that I do that that are good, uh, and here are some of the things that I do bad, but they're not as bad as this person. And I do more good than this person. None of that matters. You realize the Bible says if you break one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking all of it. So you're guilty of all of the law before God if you break one part of it. But you see, that's the thing here is that There was the, the penalty of breaking all of the law, whether I think I did or not. If I broke one part of it, I broke all of it. There was a penalty for that, for breaking the law of God. The penalty was death. You see, I lost my purpose. I lost my meaning in that moment. But Christ came to pay my penalty he came to pay the debt so that I could be free from the curse of the law the curse the curse of the law was that there were all these things that I had to live up to but that I couldn't not one of us is ever strong enough to live up to all of these things that we have to do that is good there's not one of us that can do that but Christ has come to redeem us from the curse of the law he does that the Bible says through he writes his laws on our heart through Christ Christ comes, He redeems us, He draws us into the presence of God, the Spirit of God then, the Bible says that Christ said that when He leaves, that He would give us the Comforter, and the Comforter guides us. The Comforter guides us, the Bible says, into all truth. So Christ came to buy our salvation, to pay the penalty. As He left, then He brought the Comforter to dwell within us, Writing the laws of God on our heart. It's no longer external regulations. It is something that is living in me. You see, it's not external regulations that I live up to, but it's something that it transforms the very, my very being. The essence of who I am is different because God's laws are transforming my hearts. My heart's desires become His principles. The things that He wants me to do become my heart's desire. It's not that I have to do these behaviors. It's that I want to do these things because it's now the foundation of my being as the Spirit of God dwells within me and transforms me to reflect who He is. You see, that's what Christ came to do. God's hospitality through Christ inviting strangers. The Bible says that we were enemies of God inviting us into His presence that my heart can be changed. It's not that my heart is reforms to be uh just a better heart. It's that he gives me something new. He gives me something new I didn't have. He gives me a new foundation that I may live out his principles in a loving relationship because I want to please him. So Christ God through Christ hospitably invites us uh into his presence. And he says in verse seventy-two uh, God's hospitality invites us through Christ to him, God, as our dwelling place. Let me back up to uh, verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he had said through his holy prophets long ago, the salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, Uh, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. You see, we've been rescued. Uh, We have been rescued from the penalty of sin. We have been rescued from death. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We have been rescued from that in order to dwell with God and to be able to serve God, you see, my service to God is my worship to God. First, that is my service, to God. We've talked about that before. How the Bible says that we are to be, uh, we are being built up as living stones to be this holy temple for God. We are. It's not a physical place anymore that God dwells. We are the ones who are being built up as God's physical temple, and as that. As I am his temple, and the Bible also says that we are a holy priesthood, I am the one then, you are the ones, we are the ones doing the temple service to God, meaning my service to God is my worship. But everything that I say and do is to offer to God in worship, and as that I am ministering to God the same way as we see that Zechariah was in the temple when the angel came to visit him to tell him, about his son who would go and announce the Savior's coming. Zechariah was in the temple performing the duties, serving God, ministering to God in that way. You understand what he saw in that moment was then, uh, he may not have fully understand it, but he knew that there was something different. What was coming then was this temple service would no longer be the way that things function, but God would dwell in His people and build them up to be His dwelling place. That He would dwell among us, Emmanuel, God with us. That He would be in our midst as we sit here. And all of the things that we do here are service unto God. It's ministering to God. You see, everything that we do in the church, sometimes we get this picture that the things that we do in the church are for us. That it's ministering to us. And that's part of it. That's part of what we do here. We minister to each other. We hear the Word of God. We are ministered to from that. But the first priority when we come here as God's dwelling place, as His temple, as His living temple, as priests of God, as the Bible says we are, our first priority here in this place is ministering to God. I don't care how much you know about the Bible. I don't care how little you know about the Bible. If you believe that you are saved in Christ, if you are walking in Him, our first priority is, is to minister to him. It's not when I come here, it's not about what I get. That's a byproduct of my ministering to God. My first priority is to understand I am a priest in the temple. I am God's dwelling place, and I am ministering to him. And you see the amazing thing out of that then, is as we minister to God, He pours out his blessings on me. He transforms me. He makes me different. He gives me something new. He gives me new desires. The Bible says that Christ came to bring abundant life. You see, the abundant life that we are searching for is in ministry to God. Because everything starts there. When I am ministering to God, then I am walking in the abundance of life. And that starts to affect everything that I do. It starts to affect my family. It starts to affect my friends. It starts to affect people that I don't even know. Because when I'm ministering to God, when I am His dwelling place, when I am consistently walking in His presence, you cannot help but be a joyous person. You might face suffering. You might face pain. You might face difficulty. But there is something in you that is still able to say, This life is passing by in the blink of an eye. And there is something greater than this that I am headed towards. There is something greater than this that I am walking in right now. There is something greater than my pain. There is something greater than my suffering. You see, because there is an inner inner peace that we experience in the midst of pain and suffering when we are walking as a person who ministers to God. God has called us in Christ to himself that we would be the dwelling place of God. God's hospitality also provides our guiding light. Verse 78 uh, says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising of the sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in the darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Isaiah 9:2. 2 this, this is where this, this comes from. Zechariah in this moment, again, would have been thinking back to all the things that the prophets had said. And he would have remembered Isaiah 9:2, where it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You see, they were, there were people uh, walking in darkness of ignorance and unbelief. There are people that still walk in that moment, as Isaiah prophesied. There were people who walked in ignorance and unbelief. And as we sit here today, there are still people who walk in ignorance and unbelief. There are people that don't know anything about God. People that choose to know nothing about God. There are people that hear His claims over and over and they choose not to believe them. They choose not to have faith in them. You see, it's the same as we've talked about uh, a few times if we have, uh, let me get my example out here again. We've talked about multiple times how faith takes two things. It takes intellectual assent and trust. You see, when I, if I choose not to believe in something, I am choosing not to have faith. Faith takes intellectual assent and trust. And what does that mean? You see, we can sit over and over every week and hear the things of God. We can hear what the Bible says about God. Some people will sit their whole lives and hear things. And they acknowledge what it is. The same way somebody can tell me about this chair, that it has sturdy legs, that it has a cushion, it has a nice backrest, all of these things. But you see, they never get to the point of actually believing. They never sit down. They never trust that what they're hearing can actually sustain them and hold them. It's the same thing we're talking about here. People walk in ignorance and unbelief. They hear things over and over, but they never get to the point of actually sitting down. You see, it doesn't matter how much you know, it's still possible to be walking in darkness if you don't ever sit down. If you're not able to trust it, that it can sustain you, that it can refresh you, that it can renew you, give you provision, give you nourishment. If you don't trust those things and sit down, in it, it doesn't matter how much we know. But there is something greater than that. You see, when we actually sit down in it, that's when I can experience joy in my suffering because I experience rest. I can sit here and talk about the chair all day. But I'm never going to gain the renewal, the rest that comes from when I actually sit down in it. You see, we have to be people who take what we hear and apply it to our lives. And when I do that, then I will experience the refreshing and renewal the same way as somebody you can tell me about this chair. My legs can be tired and I can stand here and I can recite all the information about it. But it doesn't help my legs to get rested if I don't sit down. You see, God has invited us through his hospitality providing guiding light for us. Meaning that the light that He provides, the Bible says that His Word is a lamp to our feet and light to our path. He has given us everything we need to understand how to function here in this world. How to relate to others. How to relate to Him. He's told us why we're here. He's told us where we're going. Everything that we have, all the questions that human humanity has, He has given us. And He has given us those things to us as a light for our path. But you see, if you don't apply those things, you're still walking in darkness. It's only a guiding light to you if it actually applies to our lives, if we sit down in it. The light is there. Are we willing to accept it? Are we willing to sit down in it? God's hospitality provides our guiding light. You see, what is amazing to me as you go through this is all of these things that that Zechariah is talking about here. In verse 72, he says, to show mercy to our fathers. Verse 78, he says, because of the tender mercy of our God, the rising of the sun from heaven to shine in those living in darkness. Because of the mercy, he talks about that over and over. Because of the mercy of God, he is sending the Savior. Because of the mercy of God, He is sending you guiding light. Because of the mercy of God, He is uh, saving us from our enemies. You see, everything that we do should be understanding, being motivated by the mercy of God. We have talked about this before. Romans 12:1 says that in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves to Him as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your spiritual act of worship. It says, in view of God's mercy, in light of God's mercy, offer yourselves. Some translations say this is your reasonable act of worship. What it is saying is, when I understand the mercy of God in His hospitality inviting me in as I was a stranger, when I understand the fullness of that, when I truly understand that I was destitute, and I understand that the only hope was this Savior that God sent to invite me to Himself, when I understand that, then... It is reasonable then that I would offer myself on the altar before him every single day. That there wouldn't be a day that I get up where I don't consider my life and what is about to happen in my life and lay myself on the altar and say, God, have whatever you would because I am overwhelmed by the abundant compassion and pity of a God who would send his son to pay the penalty for me and then give me guiding light and give me provision give me renewal all of these things that he offers us you see we've become people who are motivated by the overwhelming sacrificial love of God that he has hospitably offered us in Christ God has acted hospitably toward mankind This is the central message of the Word of God. The question is, are we willing today to accept the hospitality of God? Sometimes we have a difficult time accepting the hospitality of others. I've said before that I love standing at the back because people will come through and tell me things that God has spoke to them that I never thought of after the service. And last week, Wesley Vaughn came out and he just in passing said, uh, you know, we have to be willing, not too proud to accept people's hospitality. And that is so true. How many of us struggle to be able to accept the hospitality of others? I don't like when people, I'll say it now because it's past, but last week was my birthday and I hate. I, I do not want people to make a big deal about it. I don't. I just don't like it. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know why that is. I. I just don't like. Uh, I just don't like feeling like the center of attention at all. But maybe some of that is pride too. Maybe I just don't. Maybe I, it makes me uncomfortable accepting things from other people. I would guess I'm not the only one though. Sometimes it makes us uncomfortable when people invite us in. We wonder what they want from us. What are you trying to get from me? But you see in the same way, we have a struggle accepting God's hospitality. I'm going to show you we're going to talk about that more in a moment, but I'm going to show you. One of my biggest failures in in my years now of doing mission work i'm gonna show you a couple of videos and uh pictures and and really show you a way that i uh God kind of hammered me and showed me something here uh I think first there was a video so so this is, to give you some context here there's a compassion international school in the town that we uh uh do missions work in and uh we had, uh, there's times that we will take, uh, you know, school supplies to, to different places down there. There's, there's a deaf school that is right there. Uh, the missions organization we work for is building a deaf school right now. They have 27 students. And, uh, but, but there's various schools like that down there. So sometimes we'll take, uh, extra, you know, school supplies to them. So we had just two tubs of, of, uh, school supplies. It was just like paper and crayons and things like that. And so, the last day, uh, they, we usually give the opportunity to go to the beach, and some people do that, and I never do, because I don't want to be with a crowd of people at the beach. That doesn't sound fun to me at all. So instead, we took these tubs to the compassion school, these, the school supplies. And we showed up, and there's, there's, down there, they have to have these walls around their schools. Every, every school has to have walls. And they have barbed wire fence at the top. And I I don't remember if this is actually true, but my perception of this, anyway, was we showed up and there were these walls. It didn't seem like anyone was even there. I don't remember hearing anything, Uh, and then we just walked through this random door and a gate, and this is what we experienced immediately when we went in. So so we walk in, we walk in the door, and I, again it seemed like you couldn't hear anything. And as soon as we open the door, we have these kids just screaming, running by, and uh, we we, I had no idea what was happening at all. They take us from that door, no explanation whatsoever. Uh, they take us from that door all the way through these you know hallways and to the other side of the school, up these steps into this upper room and there was kids i think there's a picture of it there's kids hanging all over you the whole way uh through this and uh what's the next picture here so we get to this upper room they take us in this upper room all through the school the kids screaming everywhere we had no idea what was happening we didn't know where they were taking us we did not know why they were taking us somewhere we get into this upper room, and we sit down in this upper room, and there was almost no one in there. We sat there, I don't remember, maybe five minutes, and then we start seeing all of these processional of kids coming in this room, and uh what's the next picture? I don't remember what all I have. Okay, so so there's a lot more pictures I could show you, but the point is they they take us all through this into this upper room, and they bring... As many kids from the school as they could fit in there, I don't know how many, there must be six or seven hundred kids in the school, but as many as they could come bring in this room, they sit us down and they have this huge, uh, kind of celebration. They had kids getting up on stage and singing songs for us. They had, uh, these little kids were singing songs. They had the director of the school and this was one of the teachers. They wanted pictures with, with the stuff that we brought them in these tubs. And all the while I'm sitting there thinking, "Do you know do you think there's something else in these tubs? Do you have any idea we're just we it's just paper, just crayons and paper what are why are we making such a big deal out of this i It wasn't for them questioning what they were doing. it was more like did i did I do something wrong? Did they think that we were supposed to bring, be bringing something else that we're not so in that moment, I remember. Uh we had some extra money that that we take that we give to whatever needs come up. And I believe it was Jamie that I said, Can you get a couple hundred dollars out of that uh so we can give them, you know, some money. You see, my failure in that moment was not understanding the fact that they could be that hospitable for its own sake. In that moment, for some reason I was such a foolish American Uh, to think that what I had to offer wasn't good enough. So I better figure out how to make it somewhat live up to their hospitality. And I really learned a huge lesson from that after. God worked on me for a long time after that. But you see how, especially as Americans, because we have so much that we can come to the place where it is hard for me to accept that they could be that hospitable just because they have the love of God at work in their hearts. That they could be that welcoming to strangers just because they have the love of God in their hearts. That they could be that welcoming to us just because they wanted to show us kindness. didn't matter what we had in the tubs. It didn't matter what I had to offer. It didn't matter what we were giving them. That they were just generally that good and cared about us that, that much. See, that was hard for me to accept. I don't know why I never it, it was just being pushed into an uncomfortable situation you would never thought through before. But what I'm saying to you today is that some of us are the same way today. There are people that will never accept God because they don't believe he could ever be that good to them because they don't feel like they have anything to offer him. I'm sure you've heard people before that have said God can never love me because I've done too much. People say that stuff all the time. They don't think that they're good enough for God to be that good to them. There are people that can't accept God's goodness because they don't want to believe. Because if they believe, then that means it affects how they live. There are people that can't accept God's hospitality because uh, they don't like His method I've heard people say that why, why would God, why did He have to, to uh, give us salvation through Christ? Could, couldn't He have done, couldn't He have come up with a better way than that? Did He have to have somebody hang on a cross? Did He have to sacrifice somebody for that? Couldn't He have done something different? We will find anything and everything, some people, to avoid accepting the hospitality of God. What we have to understand today is that the same as these people were able to offer hospitality regardless of what I had to offer them, God is calling us as strangers, as enemies. He is calling us to be His dwelling place. He is calling us to be His spiritual temple. He is calling us to peace and comfort in fellowship with Him. And during this time of this year, we would do well to figure out what are the things in our lives that keep us from accepting the fullness of the hospitality of God? What are the things that keep us from accepting that God can be that good to us? You see, because it's not, it's not just people that are outside the church. It's not just people that don't believe anything. Because it's the same way, we, as I talked about, sometimes we hear over and over the principles of God, the things of God, the blessings of God. We hear about them the same as the chair, but we never sit down in them. You see, if I don't ever sit down in the things that God has given me, the things that God has laid out, His principles, His blessings, if I don't ever sit down in those things, I am refusing the hospitality of God. Because God has offered comfort in the midst of sorrow. He has offered strength. He has offered renewal. He has offered guiding light. All of these things He has offered. And if I refuse to sit down and trust those things, I am refusing the hospitality of God. As the worship team comes up and we end this morning, I would just urge you in these weeks, do not let anything get in the way of you considering the hospitality of God. God in Christ, and what that means for you. The blessings of God available to you. Do I believe them? Do I actually trust them and sit down in them? Do I apply them? Or am I refusing in some way the hospitality of God? God, we thank you today for the opportunity to worship you and to be together. We thank you for your hospitality. Father, it is overwhelming to consider That though we were strangers, that you would invite us into your presence through Christ. Though we were strangers, that you would love us that much. That your mercy would lead you to divine pity and compassion. And that out of that, you would generously offer us all that you are. That you would invite us to be adopted into your family. To be co-heirs then with Christ. Co-heirs of all things with him. Father, help us to never be people that would be too proud to accept your hospitality. Father, we love you. It's your name we pray, amen. If you have a need this morning, you can come here and pray by yourself. Come over here and somebody will pray with you.